All right. Welcome to another week of the Between Two Pines podcast. This week, you have myself and my lovely co-host, Zach. Uh, This week, we're going to go over outdoor news. We're going to talk about our week in the outdoors. Uh, We have an interview with uh, my Uncle John. Uh, We talk about exploring the American West and ghost towns and stuff about just exploring the desert of the American West and uh, how to go about doing that and what you'll need and just some cool facts about that. It was a really good conversation that we had. Um, And then we'll do, as usual, hot gear, cold beer, and we'll close out with Zach's Cooking Corner. And I actually have some cooking stuff I want to talk about this week, too. So, Zach, we'll get right into it. Uh, Do anything fun and exciting in the outdoors this week? Um, man, just kind of been busy running around past couple weeks. I haven't really done a whole heck of a lot. Um, just having some bonfires, shoot my bow a lot and just kind of, uh, getting geared up for fall, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I mean this, uh, this past week, uh, I got my new smoker. So I used that. That was a lot of fun. Um, I had to rebuild my boat trailer because it was all Jimmy jangled up. So I had to fix that. Um, I got out fishing a couple times. I hit, I did a lot of trout fishing, didn't catch anything, which I was highly disappointed in that. Um, got out, did some musky fishing, didn't catch anything there either. So I've been skunked all this past weekend, but yeah, for me, it's been hanging out bonfires, you know, the usual with, uh, with friends, um, yeah, nothing too fun and exciting. I'll talk about what I put on the smoker once we get to, uh, towards the end of the episode here, I'll cover that, but yeah, nothing too fun and exciting, just working around. And, uh, like you said, I waxed my, or, um, waxed my strings on my bow. I was looking through my decoys. I was like, eh, I'm kind of as much as I hate to say, and I'm slowly, I'm like, it's August pretty much. I'm like, it's time to be getting ready. September is going to be, we're two months away from duck season. So I'm like, oh, we got to actually start getting ready a little bit here. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, you, you, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Uh, not a whole heck of a lot, no. Yeah, like you said, too, I, you mentioned it, but I'm going to probably start buffing up decoys and getting fur traps ready. And just uh, it's it's getting to be the time where if I don't start doing stuff, it's going to be – a, a mad dash to the finish at the once every season comes in and starts. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, we'll get right into it. We actually have some news articles this week. I actually did some research and found some, uh, some news articles. Um, so I got this first article for those that are in the biology or uh, research field. Uh, there's an article from the guardian uh, basically what, uh, and I forget what the actual company is, But basically what they're doing is they have figured out uh, they've developed an AI, so an artificial intelligence. And it's this little thing that like attaches to a bird feeder. And I think this is just a proof of concept sort of thing. But they have an artificial intelligence camera that can not only identify birds, which uh, did you know that the what birds that they uh, tested it on, Zach? Tits. Yes, they tested it on. This AI can recognize individual tits. You, if a tit gets near the camera, it knows that it's different from a different tit. Um, yeah, so they uh, they use these AI, this AI software in this camera, and they figured out that um, 
they could identify with 90% accuracy between actual individuals of wild great tits and weavers. And there's some other finches that they use. So this is going to be really pertinent to uh, population studies and uh, probably population uh, density, um, all sorts of different stuff that they're using for research, because not only can it tell what type of bird it is, but the actual individual within that species. So you're not doubling down and recording the same individual, uh, you know, one or more times, uh, it could actually differentiate between those. So this has potential to really give far more accurate data in, uh, in regard to bird studies. So I think this is pretty interesting. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this, especially with game cameras. And I could see, you know, five, 10 years down the road where game cameras will be able to tell you where you'll get, not only will you get a ping to your phone, but it will tell you what species it is, if you've seen this individual before, and, you know, what the, its pattern. I think this is going to give a lot more uh, data points for, uh, for research and for hunters. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, um, it's definitely cool for bird populations and stuff because it's, it's so hard to tell. And all these populations we get for all these kinds of things are just, stratified you know they don't really know so with like deer your variance is like a couple million same thing with ducks and things like that when they do their surveys so you know it's not gonna perfect it but it's gonna tighten tighten it up a little bit so we have a better understanding of what's out there how to better manage and you know the possibilities of all that to go along with it yeah yeah absolutely um and uh, yeah, for this next article, uh, so this is out of Nature, which is obviously a very highly regarded research journal. Um, and this was actually from June, I believe. Uh, this might be a little bit old. I, uh, no, this is from March of 2020. Um, basically, what it says is that thermal imaging is good for finding animals that are hard to find. Oh, my God. Who'd have thought? Could you believe that? Good never, Lord. We never would have thought. Yeah, that uh, and they did it. Basically, they did a study um, in uh, in they were studying what they call cryptic species. So species that are very elusive. I would say cryptic could be synonymous with elusive, uh, not in the or sense camouflaged. of popular. Yeah, well, camouflage is hard to find, um, hard to find critters. And they in this case, it was a brown hare that they were searching. And apparently they're hard to find and it's hard to detect them. But they were using detection dogs and thermal imaging and zach i know in your line of work you have used either now or in the past have used um thermal imaging to detect uh wildlife and i'm sure you could attest that this is a very useful piece of technology oh yeah i mean it's just it's insane um just the amount of technology and one little scope i mean you could see field mouse jumping around like hundreds of yards away and um, you know, it's, it might be a little hard, but you know, the signature's there and you can, you can make that out, uh, eventually once you get close enough, but yeah, just in terms of picking up, uh, animals, I mean, it's literally almost like a black screen and then a white animal shows up in the scope. So it's just, it's absolutely insane technology and, uh, it seems like it's getting put to a good use. Yeah, which I definitely felt like this was a the uh, uh, <laughs> journal entry. Like they're really COVID because of COVID. I think they're really hurting for journal entries here, and this was yeah. the most like 
Oh, who would have thought? Uh, journal entry. Thermal scopes find too many animals. It's terrible for the, <laughs> oh, for animals. My, yeah. Oh my gosh. Thermal imaging. You can't see an animal in the dark, and it comes up on thermal imaging. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so which? Hey, whoever wrote this article, good on you. You found the niche that nobody thought it was an article that nobody needed, but they took. So, good on you. Um, Zach, were you able to read this next? The, this next article. So this next article is um, about new laws that they're introducing in Mississippi, and yeah. it, it is about. I was able to read a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is about airboats, and I really want to know. And basically, the premise of this article is that there is some potential uh, for airboats to be allowed. For persons with disabilities. And I, I have to make this disclaimer. This is only for persons with disabilities. So this is someone and the article uh, makes note of this. This would be someone who is paraplegic or a multiple amputee that can use an airbow. And Zach, I hadn't even heard of airbows until this article. Uh, have you ever heard of them before? Uh, yeah, I've seen a couple uh, videos of guys hunting with them and uh, I've seen them before. I'm still not quite sure on exactly how they all work or how the components of it, but this is a pretty slippery slope, I think. Yeah. And that was my thought on it as well. So basically, uh, and I did a little research on air bows and what exactly they are. So an airbow, it uses a CO2 cartridge, just like your standard, like, you know, your uh, pellet rifles or whatever else uses CO2 cartridge. And the core of the arrows, at least from the ones that I was seeing, essentially you basically have an arrow with no notch on it or no knock, excuse me. Um, And the air is shot into the arrow and it launches and the arrow still is fletching and everything. So it is still like your standard arrow per se but it uses air rather than a cantilever system or a string like a crossbow or a regular vertical bow um but what the article even said is that you're looking at 450 feet per second and you could shoot a two inch group at 50 yards 450 feet per second i'm not familiar enough with how you know the new bows is that pretty standard zach uh i'd say it's more more standard in the crossbow stuff um that's not totally unheard of in crossbows i don't think uh for vertical bows i think 375 is the top end stuff but uh crossbows are definitely that's definitely possible a possibility for crossbows okay um so yeah basically what it is is mississippi is wanting to allow Air bows is what they're called for the deer archery season, only for those that are totally disabled. Um, And I have to make that disclaimer, totally disabled. So it'd be paraplegic or multiple amputee. Um, But like you said, I think we're getting into it. And I'm not opposed to it for disabled hunters, because even with the crossbow, I understand that if someone is a multiple amputee, you know, maybe has prosthesis or prosthesis. Um, it may be difficult for them to definitely for a vertical bow. I could see how that would be difficult, but even more so for a crossbow, 
I could see how that would be difficult. So this kind of adds an alternative, but I think you're kind of, you're picking hairs at this point where you may as well just allow an early rifle season for those that may be disabled. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. There's, there's a couple things that roll around in my head. Number one is it's a gut thing where it doesn't seem right. Yeah. Just right off the bat in my gut. The next is, um, you know, as, as long as they draw the line, at something giving these permits away, I'm okay with it. But if it's like, you know, uh, crossbows in Wisconsin, where if you jammed your finger, a doctor will write you a note and you can get a crossbow license at some point, Mm -hmm. if those kind of regulations start laxing, then that's kind of where I start to have a problem with these air bows. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. And I think if you limit it to, you know, where you have to be, heavy and i and i don't even like the word disabled but you know um if you have something uh, about you that would limit you in your ability to uh use a bow or a crossbow i could see this but yeah once again like a jam finger oh i hurt my back back in 86 you know i i can't like and then you know that sucks man just wait for rifle season like you know, all of us are going to get old at one point and probably not be able to draw a bow. So, you know, some come sooner, others come later. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, Mississippi does have a good deer herd. So, um, it's not, so I don't think it's something super crazy that I think it might even be like a management tool they tried to implement to start, uh, maybe shooting more deer or something like that, or in high concentration areas, maybe that's a better management way to like, slip something in so that more deer get harvested to meet management objectives but um you know i think i'm not quite sure how these things are loaded or how they actually operate before you shoot but it comes off to me exactly like a crossbow but with one less step of pulling the string back yes and and that's how i would treat it you could have a scope on it you could have i mean these things it's essentially a crossbow that you don't have to crank back that's really what what it's looking like. Um, and even a guy with one one even a guy with one arm can pull back a crossbow with those winches and stuff they got on them. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, once again, if if we if we're hardlined with who you know who is eligible for them, that's fine. But as with many things, you give an inch, people take a mile. So, people start I, chopping off their own for all their own hands to start <laughs> shooting one of these you know it, yeah it, it, so we'll we'll see and so air bows i would say if you're a hunter keep that in the back of your mind the air bows and the laws regarding air bows you know it could be we're not mad we're just so, disappointed yeah so <laughs> yeah um so for the last article i have here and zach i talked to you about this before we started recording i didn't hear about this and I don't know how I didn't hear about this. And I'm 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 despondent. I am despondent. I'm disappointed. I might lose sleep over this. Evan Root is done. They're done. What the heck is going on? So Evan Root basically said, uh, and Evan Root is owned by Bombardier, a Canadian company. Boo. Um <laughs> They're owned by a Canadian company, Bombardier, who makes Sea-Doo, Ski-Doo, all that, any dues uh, they make. But Evinrude has been a staple for fishermen since the 50s. 
Uh, the, I mean, these you know what they say, are... Austin. You know what they say. Mercury will get you there. Evanrude will get you there and back. There you go. And Evanrude, for those that don't know, Evanrude also owns Johnson, which is, uh, I think they own, it's like BMP, is I think their, their like collective brand or oh, OMC. That's what it is, OMC. Um, but uh, yeah, I got a Johnson on my boat. And now I got Johnson on my boat. Yeah. What the heck is going on? What or no, I got Evanrude. But well, so it sounds like they're just, uh, sounds like they're, stopping making the e-techs and e-tech g2s and they're going to start focusing on growing their boat brands and other marine products so i don't know exactly what that means if they're going to stop i don't know if their line is entirely e-techs and g2s or if they're just stopping those big ones but they're still going to pump out small ones i don't quite this is as much as i've read about it uh from other sources too and i can't really make what that actually means so, well, there's a couple components to this. So the Evinrude, the outboard motors, the E-Tech is the only brand that they carry right now. Their new, their new motors are the E-Techs, at least for the larger horsepower. I think they might have some smaller horsepower stuff, but at least everything that I've read is they're just going to discontinue outboards. They're not doing outboards anymore. So when you're talking about boats, uh, you're talking about jet boats, which if you own, <laughs> you know who we're talking about. If you, you know who you are, if you own a sea <laughs> boat, you know who you are. Um, but uh, yeah, so it seems like they're going to definitely go towards that. I know that Bombardier has been releasing some like big wake boats, you know, they're big wakeboarding boats and, you know, they're $150,000. Oh, sick, man. Yeah, sick, bro. When you want to slam some natties with the boys in daddy's boat and just chill, maybe play some lax. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's what it seems like they're going towards. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was very interesting because I know that OMC Motors is tried hard and true. You can't kill these things. My, my motor's in 1981. You can't kill the damn thing. And that's, you know, uh, I, I was, I was disappointed. I have all, I mean, I have a Merc on one of my boats and then I got all, on all my other boats, I have Johnson's or Evinrude's and they're excellent motors, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's disappointing. I'm curious to see how this plays out. You know, maybe someone will buy out the Evinrude outboard brand or they'll get engulfed by Merc, or maybe there'll be someone else, Honda, Yamaha, Tahatsu will pick them up. I don't know. So yeah, weird, weird stuff. Yeah. End of an era. End of an era. RIP pouring out for our dead homie, Avonrude. It is what it is. But the good news is they said that they're going to keep uh, keep producing parts. So that's good, I guess. That's good. So you can fix your stuff. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. I think right now we can go right into our interview. Um, so this week we're going to have an interview with my uncle, as we'll call him. Uh, well, he is my uncle, um, but old Uncle John. And he's going to tell us some stories about uh, the, the West and exploring some ghost towns and some other cool things um, about the, uh, the Southwestern United States. So we'll get it right into it right now. All right. So this week we have uh, a guest on here. Um, it is, we'll call him old uncle John. Uh, <laughs> so we'll call him mm -hmm. here. 
So uh, this week it's going to be Zach and I. We're interviewing uh, old Uncle John. He explores the American West and has seen a lot of uh, the I, I would call the hidden landmarks and hidden side of kind of the American West and the American Southwest. And so we're going to interview him. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. go out west, and there's a a lot of it that goes unexplored. And I feel like a lot of people it can be a little bit. Um, overwhelming to get started and go out there. And I think there's a lot of cool stuff that could be seen. So I guess uh, my first question for you, Uncle John, Mm -hmm. is uh, so how did you get started into going out and exploring the desert? Well, I'll tell you, well, I always liked the West and I moved out to the West um, because I grew up around you fellas, right? In Villa Park, Illinois. And uh, I moved West in uh, 1984 and I lived in California and um, I, I, I started to, uh, that's when I started to uh, get interested in shooting. And what I discovered in California, as anybody who's tried to have a firearm knows at this point, <laughs> it's not the easiest place in the world to actually do anything with the darn thing. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and so your, your cousin Trevor and, and I, my son, uh, we're thinking, gee, where can we go? And we were shooting skeet. There were some clubs where you could shoot skeet. And I'm thinking, well, but where else can I go and do some shooting without bothering anybody and without actually going into uh, a range and that whole rigmarole and stuff like that? And that kind of combined with my already interest in kind of Wild West cowboy, you know, pioneer, I guess you would call it, history. So, um I got to looking around on maps and throughout my entire life, I've been a guy who likes looking at maps. I kind of like seeing it and thinking about, Oh, what's there and all those kinds of things. And uh, I discovered some places in Nevada that were just wide open. Okay. Um, And um, I had not at that time being a good city kid, I had not even heard of the Bureau of Land Management. Right. And this was around the late 1990s, early 2000s. And um, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out. I'm going to look. And I'm looking on the maps. I'm saying, well, this looks like a spot that seems pretty darn far from anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No and if I, yeah go, if I go there and I make banging sounds, I'm not going to bother anybody. So um, so I, 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 went, I lit out for that. Um and uh, the first place I went to was in Nevada, the first place, first area, which is in a, uh, went in a place in Nevada called around the area called Unionville. Um, and it's um, it's mm, north central. What it is, is U.S. Highway 50. The real the real artery in Nevada is for old timey stuff is U.S. Highway 50. It is it actually traces the old. um Pony Express route. So it's the okay. same same route. Today, it's a road. Today, it's just as empty as it was. It's actually more empty <laughs> than it was during the Pony Express because there's no Pony Express stations. Okay, <laughs> Now it's just road. And there's, there is uh, pretty much a lot of nothing between uh, Reno and um, Salt Lake City. <laughs> okay. So there's there's some you know there's spots there's a few spots. So yeah, that's that's how I kind of got started on my own you know adventures out in the desert. I, I went out and I found this place Unionville and I looked on the map and 
I kind of did some research on it. I found out some really interesting stuff about it. Um, Unionville still exists. There's about 20 people that live there, maybe year round. It's, um, it's, <laughs> if you go US 50, US 80, then south, and then 25 miles, then 30 miles, <laughs> then you're getting close. <laughs> mm. And um, it, uh, I, I found it. And what it is, is it's the first place where Mark Twain uh, did his first explorations in the West in 1860. It was a, it was a mining town. They had a, they had a vein of silver there and a little bit of gold. Um, neither of which that Mark Twain dug out of the ground. Um, had he, obviously had he done that, he might not have written any books. Right. But um, so, yeah, so I went there and it was great. You know, I just kind of found this place, hung out there and went driving around the area and just kind of explored it and just found these absolutely amazing things. I mean, one, you know, other than the fact that there's this little town in the middle of the desert. It's called the Buena Vista Valley. It has its own year-round creek. Comes down the mountain, comes through the town. It's anywhere between two to four, maybe six feet wide, up to 18 inches deep all year round until the edge of town. Then it just disappears. <laughs> and, and so is that like a spring fed or is that yeah it's uh, a yeah. spring it's a spring coming down from the hills. There's a, there's these mountains that separate um the, the Buena Vista Valley from the uh, valley on the other side. Uh, the, the, the name escapes me on the other side. Um, it's um, what's the main river in, um, in Nevada. Anyway, it'll, it'll come to me in, in a minute, but anyway, uh, yeah. So they're on the other side of it and you know, the, the, the little town still exists and all this other stuff and, and you can hang out. And what's kind of cool about it is you start to discover all, um, all these Interesting thing. Mark Twain's original cabin is still there, right? Um, it, it's uh, it's quite a thing. Rye Patch. Okay, I'm on my Google map now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, on the on the uh, east side of the mountains from the Rye Patch Reservoir, and there's the the reservation there. That's the um, uh, I want to say the Humboldt River. I'm pretty sure it's in Nevada. I'll have to remember the name of the river. That's a, that's pretty much the one feed in the desert. The interesting thing I found about the Nevada desert, is there's a, actually a lot more hidden water in the Nevada desert than there is in Arizona or in New Mexico. I, well, I was actually and, amazed about that. And so like when you're looking for these places, obviously mm -hmm. it's just desert. And I, so what mm -hmm. systems are you using? Are you just looking on Google Maps and, and kind of seeing like, oh, there's a settlement. Oh, there's a settlement. Or how are you going about choosing your destinations? I do that now. I didn't do that originally because there wasn't. I mean, Google Maps didn't actually get launched, uh, I think, until early 2000s, around 2005. Um, so there weren't actually these live maps. I started doing this around 2001. I know it was 2001 because that's when I bought my um, PT Cruiser. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, God. I know. And I, you know, go ahead and rib me about it. Everybody has. And it was one of my favorite <laughs> doggone cars I ever had. You could, you could fold it completely up and just I'm, – I'm a truck camper. And you can just sleep in the back. And, and, you know, that stupid looking thing, you could take it anywhere. And I drove it 185,000 miles on one clutch. Okay. <laughs> you go ahead and knock it if you want. <laughs> and 
<laughs> it wasn't it wasn't a woody was it was it a woody no no, no it was just a straight up one. but I, <laughs> okay I'll, I'll take the bullet on that one <laughs> yeah but <laughs> but there really there wasn't that that so i was just looking on paper maps and one of the, one of my bibles for that which i still use is there's a company called delorme d-e-l-o-r-m-e and they publish topo maps uh, and gazetteers, I think they get a lot of it from the USGS and they combine it, but their topo maps are really, really good. And so when I would find a stuff on a thing on a regular road map around that time, then I would check in detail on the, on the Delorme map. And then you find all the things they, they mark all the wells, they mark all of the, the mines that they, that are known, you know, the knowable mines, um, they mark, you know, cattle, cattle stations they just mark everything so um i use that when i got out into the wild country and um you know i wouldn't go too far off the road i mean there'd be a main road but even those main roads in places like that are dirt so i would just kind of use that to understand where i was headed and then head that way you know and so like i know you're talking about the P- pt cruiser which we'll leave it at that as much as i would love to razz you i forgot that you were in that <laughs> car um uh, so, hey, I own up to it. It's not like <laughs> no, it's not like I'm a communist or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that, so you're you're going into these places, and and obviously the PT Cruiser made it out there, but I feel like this is almost like a you know, and I've talked to you previously, but mm-hmm. is this like four by four only access to some of these places that you're going? Are you able well, to before, before I up my game to a four wheeler? Yeah, because I got rid of the Cruiser in 06 and I got a Dodge Durango you know, the, the whole Hemi and the whole banana, right? And that, that thing took me any darn place. Yeah. Then, then I got a lot further off the road. Starting in 06, then I got a lot further off the road. Then I would just go where I, you know, felt like going. And, uh, yeah, and you, you can get in trouble. <laughs> but I, I'm, you know, I made a point of it. At that time, by that point, by like 06, then I was more thinking, well, you know what? Why not just try to track um, ghost towns? And that's what I was doing more of is going to all the ghost towns that I could find. And they're marked. They're marked on the Delorme map. And there's also a website called gosttowns.com. Of course, <laughs> classic, there's a website classic. for everything. You know, there's a, I'm sure there's a website called dirtysocks.com. But anyway, <laughs> it, you know, on there, I, I would look them up. And uh, they have a map that you could, they kind of give you the general location. And then I would cross index it on the, on the topo map and then head out, you know, and uh, that, that was more adventurous because then I had, you know, a four wheel drive and I could get out on, you know, the roads or not. I've seen a lot of stupid out there where people are like, you know, I've actually, you know, gone out and I'm kind of going slow on a four wheel drive and I see somebody sort of off in the dirt in a 78 Buick Sentry, you know, it's like, super, you know, it's like, what, you know? So, yeah, because you drive out to these places and you see these burned out old trucks and stuff like that. And you say, yep, yep. People have done stupid things for a long, long time. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so when when you go to these, so like like years in the, the Delorme or Delorme, mm-hmm. is that what it is? Delorme yeah, D-E-L-O-R-M-E, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so Delorme maps and, and you find one of these ghost towns. What mm-hmm. is like a typical, and I'm sure all of us and Zach, I, I don't know if you have anything to say on this, but I'm sure we have this quintessential picture of a ghost town with nothing there is that, I mean, is what we see in the old Western films or in documentaries, is that pretty much what 
is actually in like a ghost town or is it dilapidated? I, I really don't know what yeah. one would could expect. To, no, I would, I would say to be realistic, 80 or more percent, maybe even 90 percent of ghost towns that were actually a digging where some where there were people there, you know, even a thousand people and even a railroad. OK, um, are just nothing, nothing at all. Just some rocks, a lot of tin cans. Um, I don't think there's one acre of land in the entire surface of the United States that doesn't have an empty beer can on it. Right. Mm -hmm. But you go to these and it's, you know, it's really, it can take some doing you'll be in, in, some of them are just totally erased. Some of the, some of the people went to a lot of trouble to really erase it and it'll be on the map and it'll say post office. That'll be on the map. And as far as I can tell, I have not actually researched it in detail, but as far as I can tell, some of these postal things are still probably in the archive of the post office as having had been or having or on the list. As, like have a shipping address. somewhere. Yes, that, that is. A, it's like a post office, not a zip code per se, but a post office. And, and there really is an awful lot of nothing. Um, the fun part, which actually makes it the fun part, the fun part is to actually get in there and find one that's got some kind of verifiable ruins, you know, some kind of buildings that are marked, you know, that look still like buildings or things. You know, remember these people came in there and all they want to do is dig a hole in the ground and get a lot of money out of it. And so they used wood or whatever, and then they hauled that wood back out. Okay. Cause there isn't a tree within 500 miles of, uh, you know, rye patch or unionville there literally is not a tree within hundreds of miles of that so you know if you got some wood and you heard there's going to be gold somewhere else you're going to take your building down and take it with you so that's crazy to think about yeah you'd move an entire building yes so and and in some places the stone was just easier to work with because there was just a heck of a lot of stone and that's the ones where you get some evidence of uh of the ghost town. Um, but yeah, there, there aren't really, there are hardly those places, the places that are like you say, that kind of dream place that looks like, you know, you see in the movies and stuff, they're around. Um, there are extraordinary conditions that preserve them. There's one in, um, California, uh, Bodie, which is so high up in the mountains and they, I've been there two or three times. It's, it's up there. It's like, oof eight or 9,000 feet. And um, they just, people just left. I mean, they, it was Monday and then it was lunch. And then at two o'clock, the town was empty (laughs) (laughs) and and, and everything's still there in Bodie. It's weird. I mean, it's like there's cups and plates and they just left. And, and it is now a state park and you can talk to the Rangers and stuff. And they, and they, and you'd never really get a clear answer. It's just like, what is it? They say, they say, yeah, as far as we can tell, they just upped and left. <laughs> and, and, and it's, so there are a few of those, like I say, and, but it has to be extraordinary circumstances. Like Bodie is just so remote. It's up, um, it's up very, very close to, um, what are those ancient bristlecone pines? It's up that area, you know. No, I like how you think we know. I, we're from the Midwest. We have no. No, but idea you have heard tell of the ancient trees, the <laughs> bristlecone pines, the oldest plants in the world, and this and that. Yeah, they live way, way, way up. I've seen the bristlecone pines. They're eleven thousand feet up. Okay, and you're looking at this plant, you know, in a car. 
okay, in a car, your car is going, no, don't take me this high. <laughs> and you go up there and there's a ranger and I think, boy, you got lungs the size of an Inca Indian, you know, and, uh, but you get up there and these brisk cones are amazing. And there they are. And they're just this, this gnarled weed, but you come to discover that they're thousands of years old, you know, um, but that gives you an idea of how, you know, incredibly difficult the climate is in some of these places like Bodhi and how wildly crazy people go to get to dig a hole in the ground and get money out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's totally right? true. Yeah. And everything that comes with it, just like all the old stories, all the, you know, ladies of the evening and the saloon keepers and the, the gamblers and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, just someday they go, yep. Okay. Moving on. And they just go. <laughs> just, yeah. It's just kind of weird, but long story short. Yeah few of these preserved ones and that's kind of the reward in the adventure is that you get to one that's that's got some life to it you know or some evidence of of life to it you know yeah and so when, when you go to these places and just mm -hmm. for you know someone that may be interested in doing you know the sort of thing that you're doing just exploring mm -hmm. you know the, the west or even mm -hmm. the midwest or mm -hmm. where, wherever they they mm -hmm. may so choose what type of, well, I guess first and foremost, so you, you explain the maps that you're using. I'm mm -hmm. sure you're using other GPS systems. But when you get there, mm -hmm. one, what type of camping are you doing? And two, how are you uh, deciphering who owns the land that you're on? I know kind of in the West, it's a little bit easy. Mm -hmm. But are you, is there particular types of land, BLM land, um, yeah. you know, national parks land? What, right. what type of land right. are you using and what type of camping are you doing? Yep, I don't want to get boring, but that's all marked on the Delorme. <laughs> <laughs> it's BLM is marked, private is marked, not private. I can tell you one thing. If you're out in this mining country, because a lot of it's still active, right? People are mining in different areas. And one of the interesting things about gold mining is that geologists nowadays know a lot, a lot about where all the gold is. And they know about it in terms of how it's saturated in the soil and stuff like that. So all they do is they do a simple calculation. If it costs $1,000 a ton to dig it out of the ground and it's selling for $1,200, they dig it out. Once it goes to $950, they stop digging. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of claims that exist. Generally, the kind of like... Uh, superficial mine claims because hard rock mining for gold in the United States is pretty much over. There are no like veins of pure gold that are out there or silver or any of those things. Most of it's now done as a, as a process of open pit and replenishment and stuff. They're very conscientious. It's amazing. I mean, as I said, near Unionville, the price the spot price got up in the mid 2000, you know, early two thousands to where they were digging it out. So I had gone there in Oh uh, two and there was nothing going on. And then I went back in 07 and there were fences everywhere. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So it all happened that fast. Right. And then they put it back. And what's really good about it, and I saw this in Virginia City. It was a big deal in Virginia City. I don't know if you know the history of Virginia City, but that's where the Comstock load was found, which is the biggest silver strike ever. And it's the one that turned William Randall first into a millionaire and all this sort of stuff. And um, it made a lot of fortunes for people in California. Well, Virginia City is still active. It's a town in, you know, in Nevada that stays reasonably alive. And they got a kind of tourist thing. But Actual the heart people live there. Oh, yeah, they live there. It's it's a reasonably lively town. It's actually close enough to Reno to be almost a suburb. It's about 40 miles south of Reno. 
so it's sort of like a country suburb you know it's like mm. it's like rockford is to chicago you know it's not not yeah. not completely out of the orbit and um but the hard rock mining is over however they know how much gold is in the soil and uh, i i took your your cousin elizabeth you know um there uh, we, we were doing a history of the West tour and the gold history of gold mining in California is a big deal. Right. So I said, oh, let's go to Virginia city because that was a big strike. And we went there and we also went to, you know, uh, Sutter's mill and all that stuff. And right at that time we stayed in this hotel that was built in 1858. It's like the oldest continually operating hotel in Nevada. Well, and- the- it sounds old, but Zach and I lived in a house in college that was built in the 1800s. Too. No, I, so I'm just I'm not, I'm no, I'm just giving perspective. Unimpressed. Well, no, of course. I mean, it's like they it's like they say in Europe, right? In America, a hundred years is a long time, and in Ireland, a hundred miles is a long way. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, but no, the upshot was because the reason I say that is because it was sitting on this piece of dirt for 150 years, and they picked that sucker up and moved it to get the gold out. Hmm. (laughs) okay so between 01 and 06 they picked that thing up and they moved it took the gold out put the dirt back put the hotel back (laughs) okay if there's a will there's a way and and that's a serious racket these geologists really really know what's going on there so you get that kind of variation and that's a kind of that that gives you some sense about what you have to be aware of with the private and public property aspect of it because there are a lot of leases blm is you know it's funny to say blm these days i'm sorry to diverge but (laughs) bureau land management leases are you know they're they they exist and then you you get what they call a patent which is actually a lease on the land to pull the minerals out but you don't actually own it so you get some shifting it's kind of kind of fun to watch you know and you have to be careful there are a couple of guys I did get a junkyard dog that gave me the news that I did not belong where I was. <laughs> was this an actual dog or was this oh, an old man? No, no, no this was a dog. This was a dog. <laughs> and, a, and fortunately he was on a good, goodly chain. Uh, and uh, I saw him and the chain and the sign that says keep out all at the same time. <laughs> so, so I lit out the other way because that was a guy who had a private patent and he was actually mining gold and he wasn't kidding about it. Right. But he was sort of nominally in that marginal area that my map said was BLM, but he had this lease and so on and so on. So you always have to kind of respect that as you're as you're going through. But but it's it's you it's not that you're going to be completely ignorant of it. It's it's there. It's pretty cleanly mapped out. And certainly, if you want just wild country that belongs to the you know is ministered by the Bureau of Land Management. Nevada is the place because I think like 80% of the state is just. Yeah, they they are the largest percentage, which that was a big uh, uh, last week. We were talking about that new. uh, And what what was that act called, Zach, that we talked about last week? I'm already losing my train. The Great American Outdoors Act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the the Great American Outdoors Act. And that was uh, something that the Nevada, uh, I think it was two senators or maybe representatives from Nevada. They were complaining that. you know, too much of their state essentially is BLM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were, they were yeah. Getting, I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm there's, the there's, act. that's going mm-hmm. on. That's a lot of back and forth in Nevada. That's a big deal in Utah too. Since I've moved to New Mexico, I'm really, I was really surprised. A lot of what I've seen here is locked up privately. You know, hmm. 
Really? Yeah. yeah. Even in New Mexico. Huh? No. And well, yeah, I guess you, well, I guess you got big ranches out there. Huge ranches. And, um, you know, I mean, what you and what the three of us, you know, Illinois boys would call a huge ranch. Yeah. 20,000 acres is like, you know, that's the regular one for these guys. <laughs> Jeez, I we, think a I big think, acre around here or a big uh, ranch around here is like a hundred acres. Right. Yeah. I mean, and this is spitting distance from my house. I mean, uh, and famous people, this is like Montana a bit, you know, there's a lot of hobby ranching from celebrities like Val Kilmer owns a 40,000 acre ranch up the road from here. And uh, Ted Turner, I think has literally has millions of acres of Nevada. Of, uh, of New Mexico, I'm sorry. You know, Ted Turner apparently is a huge landowner. So yeah, there's a lot of that around. Um, you, uh, Austin and I had talked about, you know, can we get any hunting in because you got to have tags and this and that. And people who have a ranch have, you know, a certain amount of hunting opportunity. And I had a young man come over here to help me plant a tree. And he and his dad have 40,000 acres outside Española. <laughs> this is the garden guy. <laughs> this is the help me plant a tree guy. I gave him a hundred bucks, and on the side, he's got forty thousand acres of land. You know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there's there. That's kind of the the rhythm here. I've noticed in New Mexico is a lot of private ownership. You know. And so, and, and I know you'd mentioned the the junkyard dog, but yeah, obviously you're getting into these huge. Uh, you know, essentially never-ending expanses of land. Are, mm-hmm. are you running into other people? Uh, yeah, you, you, you. Well, no, I don't actually see people. I, I can't see. No, I. Oh man, gotten to like twenty-something years. I've really been doing this. I've only actually come across people once or twice, like a car driving by <laughs> or something like that. Um, you know, howdy-do kind of thing. Um, but I also, it's not that their evidence is not there. I know that they'll be there. And you're never, you know, like it's a modern world. I think, to me, the fun part about the whole kind of uh, US 50, uh, Buena Vista Valley and southward kind of axis between town that they call, there's a town called Goldfield, which is a really super duper ghost town. It's amazing to see because it has big hotels that are still there and all sorts of stuff. It's a very crazy place. It's on US 95. Is there like um, bars there and everything else? There is a bar there. And you remember, um, you remember the soup Nazi on, um, what was that uh, Seinfeld? Yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. There's a guy who owns a bar there. Well, you go in the bar, go ahead. You go in the <laughs> bar and he's going to be rude as hell to you. And and everybody's going to laugh about it, and they're all packing, okay. <laughs> and and you just sit back and enjoy the ride, you know. You say, "Hey, you got this kind of drink," and he just gives you a beer, and you don't just shut up, right? <laughs> and uh, so yeah, there. And what's really weird about it's Gold like the real the real old west. That's oh yeah, like- and I'll tell you the the most amazing thing to me about Goldfield is because Goldfield is about. Um, 60 or 80 miles northeast of the gateway to the uh, Death Valley. Okay. So it's down that way. And Goldfield is still the county seat of Mineral County, Nevada. So the sheriff's office is there. There's just a handful of people, like a hundred people. Half of them are county employees. (laughs) Okay. And it's one of the least populated counties. There's like something on the order of 
one person per every five square miles in mineral. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's really empty. I mean, it's crazy empty. And Goldfield sort of is still there and all of the properties are still privately held. They're very, they're kind of nice about it. They put little signs up, say, yeah, this is this and this is that. The Goldfield Hotel is just something to see. It's five stories tall. It's standing there like it was just yesterday. It was built around 1910, 1906. Um, the town, when it was flourishing, uh, Wyatt Earp's brother was the sheriff. Um, I'm not getting any died yeah, yeah. Virgil, Virgil Earp. Um, when it was, when it was flourishing, it had like 20,000 people, Jeez, yeah. Jack, Jack Dempsey had a prize fight there and so on and so on. And this hotel, supposedly, if you look in these like haunted places, it's supposedly haunted and blah, blah, blah. So that's one of the, one of the real gems. I mean, you're going to see that place and you go, holy smoke. Oh, and you know, to cap it off, it's on the Northwest corner of area 51. Oh, I mean, there you let, go. Let's add that in. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, uh, Gro Groom Lake. Well, that, that was actually an, another, well, I guess, uh, well, the, the first question I asked you, so once again, you go to some of these places, you're camping, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you see no mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot on this podcast about wildlife mm -hmm. and different things. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, and I've never been to the desert. I'll be mm -hmm. the first one to say, I've not, Zach, have you ever been to the desert? Uh, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we're mid Midwestern boys. We've never been mm -hmm. to the desert, mm -hmm. but I feel like it is so unbelievably desolate out there. And I've been to far Northern Wisconsin. I've been to the mm -hmm. UP, but I feel like right. that's a different kind of desolate. And well, well go ahead, De desolate's an interesting word. Desolate has a sort of negative kind of, say. it's empty. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so what, what type of wildlife are you seeing out there? Cause I feel like you're, you're going to have your scrub grasses and everything mm -hmm. else. There's got to be next to nothing for wildlife out there. Yeah, there is next to nothing for wildlife. As a matter of fact, um, I've slept out there at night. Um, if it's not windy, if it just is real quiet, you know, there's no there's no weather going on. I, I, I remember just lying in the truck and I could hear the blood in my ears. <laughs> That's how quiet. I'm not kidding you. I could hear my pulse go because there is not any sound, not any wind, not any crickets, not any birds, not any coyotes, not nothing. Um, so yeah, it can be real nothing. I I have never actually seen other than you know lizards and snakes and bugs, and really not to, not many of those. <laughs> The really? bugs got to be real hardy. No, they got to be real hardy. You aren't going to get bit by a bug at that part of the desert. You just so no, so no skeeters. Oh golly, no, 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 nothing like you. Can you got to have water to have mosquitoes? That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. No, you can get them. I mean, I've been over in the um, yeah, uh, you know, at the river, and and you can they're kind of hanging around, going, "Hey, wow, I'm staying here." <laughs> um, but uh, no, it it yeah, it's what what I have seen is I've seen the trail of something you'll see a coyote trail or you'll see a, a, a cattle trail because there are cattle wandering around and those poor darn things are, I mean, wandering around, you know, there's gotta be one to every 500 acres, you know, I mean, they're really wandering and they're there, you know, they're there. I mean, you just know those animals. And they're just there. escaped from ranches or whatever have you. Yeah. Or, or what, or however somebody's doing it. Or just open range. It is open range. Exactly. And it's very, 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 weak scrub um there are places where they they actually work it like uh, near unionville there is a big hay farm there it's about 
you know, 2000 acre hay farm. And because, because the, the, the water is actually in the valley, they can irrigate the hay farm from the um, groundwater, you know, that's underneath. Because that's another thing about 20 miles east of, um, of uh, Unionville is, is a hot spring. It, it was actually a popular resort in the 1890s, and it burned down like everything did in the 19th century. It burned down, and then people forgot about it, but the hot spring's still there. And, and a bunch of local people, the handful of local people, they maintain it. They keep a couple of um, I'm trying to think. Was, tanks Un- there. was Unionville, and now I'm, I'm having a weird flashback from some research that I did at one time or another. Was was this hot spring the one that they tried to ship in or get piped in for the whatever 1890 uh, World's Fair in Chicago? It's entirely possible. I mean, yeah, um, I'm having some weird flashback where they tried yeah. to pipe in some hot spring from out west or we're going to, you know. Bring well, it. there's a lot of those kooky things. And in those days, you know, uh, they they uh, Kyle. Eric, I'm looking on my map. It's called Kyle Hot Springs. And the funniest thing about it is because I was staying when I one time I was staying in there. There's a there's a little uh, place where you can stay. This guy owned it, and he he was a crazy old guy, war hero. He had a, like a Navy cross from being a fighter pilot in this in the Second World War. Totally interesting guy, Jones, Bud Jones. And Bud goes, hey, you got to go out to the hot springs. He says, oh, it's great. Just get yourself naked and get on in the spring. <laughs> I mean, here's this guy's like 85 years old. I'm thinking like, dude, I'm not going with you. Um, <laughs> but there they were. And, and, and it actually is there, you know. And, but, and I'm coming around in a funny way. That shows that that valley is watered, right? Yeah. So you can, you, can um, you know, they, they, they pipe. Um, so they irrigate from wells on that one farm. So back to the ranch aspect of it or the open range aspect of it, there's a little bit of it. But in that particular area, all you're really seriously talking about is mining. People were always just looking for something they could scrape out of the dirt. There's still an active uh, mine in uh, a town called Gabs, G-A-B-B-S. Uh, Gabs is down uh, on the wave gold field from Middlegate Station. It's called Middlegate Station because that's what it was in the uh, uh, Pony Express. Mm. And, um, and Gab's, uh, it, it was, it's a white stone. My guess is that it's like gypsum or something. It's, a, it's gigantic gypsum. Yeah. So then in this little bird called Gab's, there's 150 people and 135 of them go out in the mine. right um you know oh here you go my map is revealing to me it's magnesium oh okay there you go yeah yeah that's yeah that's interesting how some of those towns are so yeah well now i'll tell you the ultimate irony because i keep coming back to the area between middlegate and goldfield when you get to this spot where um it's called broken hills down this route to the east of you, where you are, a little east of the main road is this Broken Hills, which is a, a, a ghost town. There's a there's a mine head there, and <laughs> there's some seriously ugly environmental damage there. <laughs> so, yeah, and so what are you seeing, I mean, as far as environmental damage? Well, in some, some spots, because gold mining used a lot of arsenic and a lot of heavy metals, mercury and things like that. So you got to kind of stay clear of the, of the, of where they were, um, uh, processing the, the gold, the stamping areas, because you're, you're going to run into residual mercury and stuff like that. And then of course, arsenic, you can use a lot of that, you know, and, um, 
you'll see it in pools, right? There'll just be this orange pool of water, you know, liquid, and it's there, and it's kind of kind of spooky. And of course, the the their minds are not like they look in the movies. They're just holes. Okay, <laughs> so you got to watch where you're going. Yeah, it yeah, could be a yeah. hole, and the next thing you know, and this is what I'm getting at. For example, in Broken Hills, I think that's the most interesting. Um, what I would say, um, ironies of 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 history. Here you got Broken Hills, and they were digging that out in the early 20th century. Just east of it, they were digging it out. Just east and north of it, they were digging it out all the way back to the 1850s. Just to the west of it, and I mean literally, there's a road called Highway 361. That's the paved road. So if you go east of 361, you're at Broken Hills. If you go west of 361, you're into an area, I think, called Rochester or something like that, Bell Mountain. But <laughs> just west, about 15 miles west of Route 361, is a marker where the first underground nuclear bomb test was oh, done. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's okay. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about that whole thing. Now, if you go from that marker, another 50 miles west to Fallon, okay, which is a town, and that's an active town, and that's the nearest town. By the way, buy gas at Fallon because you're not going to buy gas anywhere else. Okay. <laughs> um, Fallon is the uh, Naval Air Station where they do the top gun training. Okay. Yeah. So you got a lot going on out there. Yeah. And the, and, the, and that to me, the, the main anecdote is that is I'm sleeping out there in my truck and I hear the blood rushing in my ears. Right. And then the sun comes up and I hear tremendous jet engine fire going on <laughs> because now it's dawn and these guys are training in F-18s. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, no, no, it's, that, yeah. it's wild. The contrasts are really, really wild when you're well, out there. And, you know? and hearing stuff out there, and th this is a question for me because I love this stuff. But you're you're out there. You're near, uh, you know, Area 51 and mm -hmm. all these uh, test mm -hmm. stations. Do you mm -hmm. see any weird stuff out there, or have you seen any weird stuff out there? You know, other than, the only weird stuff you see is stuff that you're willing to think is weird because you're out in the darkest part of the country. So you're out in the dark and you see, you know, you're laying there and you see the satellites fly by and the space station and stuff because you can see that. You can see the stars and you can see whatever's tracking along that area. And, yeah, you know, Skynet. undoubtedly, yeah. yeah, and undoubtedly there's some serious satellites that are kind of tracking along the U.S. Oh, yeah. Naval Skynet, up north, you could see 20 of them in a row. I think right. you and I were looking yeah. at them last time we were up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you see that. But, you know, in terms of, I'm not a big guy on that stuff, you know. Um, I've been around a lot of technology my my whole life. You know that. I mean, in my, my last career was a lot of technology. And, and yeah, you know, and, and right, my brother, your dear old dad, worked in the Department of Defense. So, you know, come on. That's, you know, this whole idea of all kinds of big, crazy ass secrets and stuff. That are <laughs> oh, come on. You haven't seen one chupacabra. Right. Skinwalker, no right, UFOs. Yeah. Come on. Well, look, come on. When I sit down with Bigfoot, I let him deal the cards, right? You know? <laughs> no, no, I see. It. No, I don't. You know, and like, and like I say, it's the the most fascinating experience about that part of the desert is how much nothing is going on. Well, and that that's what I find super interesting is like when you're saying I I physically cannot picture in my head Midwestern boy once again. I can't picture a world without mosquitoes. That's my nightmare. 
I, I get winter that mm-hmm. is free of them. I get a small break from mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. But if it's nice out, there's mosquitoes, and I can't escape them anywhere. But no. that, that's so mosquitoes are not the animal of the southwest. No, it's yeah, just no mosquitoes, no cicadas, no spiders. Well, no, it's nothing. interesting. Cicadas. I actually have cicadas here in Santa Fe. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. No skeeters, though. No mosquitoes. But I do it. And you. And now, having said that, it's not that there aren't things that will bite you. Yeah, you got there's scorpions. Plenty. Well, but also, even in Nevada, there's the biting flies and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And no seams. You get a little no seams. I notice you get no seams way up high. I don't even know what those are. I just know what they're called. <laughs> I mean, you guys are more close to scientists. What's an actual no seam? Is it a gnat? Is it a biting gnat or something? I don't know. I, well, no yeah, seam it's just something no super tiny. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just a little biting net deal. Yeah. They hurt. That's all I know. Oh boy, do they hurt. Yeah. And as you say, they're no seams. So I don't know what they are. I never see them. I just know they bite me. So, yeah. but yeah, it's interesting in, in some parts of the Nevada desert, it is just so blank that you don't even get bugs. You just don't get anything. You may as well be on Mars. You just don't get anything at all. Here, here in Santa Fe. Yeah. I get tons of um, coyotes. Oh my God. The coyotes they'll start singing at like 11 or 12 at night and they'll fill the whole valley, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and the cicadas, cicadas are gone. We had a short cicada season. They're gone. Um, so yeah. And as I said, I got the prairie dogs and the gophers, but when I'm talking about that whole area between like us 50 and, and, uh, death Valley, it's, it's really dead. It's really blank. The animals are there. But really, you can count them on one hand. You can really count them on one hand. You don't. Even, you hardly see a bird. Really, you hardly even see a bird. It's and uh, uh, John speaking too of just animals around the area. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just recently listening to a meat eater podcast, and they went down by the White Sands Missile Range, mm-hmm. um, and they hunted uh, wild oryx. Have you ever seen any oryx? Or I think New Mexico even has ibex too. Oh, I would love to do that. You know, since I moved here, I moved here last fall, and um, I have not gone too much south of Albuquerque. And okay. I'm, I'm, I'm way in for that. It's interesting because people also told me about antelope, and I haven't seen any near here. Uh, when I went and saw Austin a couple months ago, I drove up through Wyoming and stuff. That's where I saw the antelope. They're, they're, they're more dead. antelope than people in Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, more more anything than people. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I don't even know why they got a congressman. You know, there's like nobody in there. But <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I that's where because I've been kind of keen to see antelope. People have been telling me that the antelope are around here, but they don't seem to be getting too close to my place. I'm kind of on that periphery between Santa Fe as a town and the open country. We're on the edge of that, and I, and I haven't seen it. But it's interesting you say that because I know when I got into Texas, I, I, I took a trip through Texas. You know, <laughs> I went to Wisconsin by way of the uh, um, Gulf of New, Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, when you retire, you kind of kill time. But anyway, um, going through Texas, I saw a lot of ranges that had these animals, but I understood it to be more domesticated. You know, where you could, you know, there's there's these hunting reserves where you can, you know, you can hunt. Uh, elk and you know all kinds of stuff like that but they're on reserves so yeah I, i'd be all over it man I, i'm not now you got me jacked up i'm, I'm ready to go down, <laughs> down there and see if i can spot some because that's really yeah i guess cool. it's uh it's i guess they implanted them in the 60s or something and now they've actually uh 
uh, made it to be like a wild sustaining herd around the White yeah. Sands Missile Range. Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. White Sands yeah. National Park does have African oryx. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Because so th- I actually did see a wild camel in the Mojave in California. What? They have ago. wild camels there? There are a few because back in the 1870s or something, 1860s, there was an experiment to build a camel corps for the United States Army. And so, yep, <laughs> yep, boy, look, man, Uncle John don't lie. He says some weird stuff, but I, I try not to lie, okay? I mean, I'm perfectly happy to exaggerate, but I ain't going to lie. Um, but, yeah, so I actually did see it. And, and, and of course, in uh, when you get closer to Mojave, when you get closer to California side, the Nevada-California board, you see a lot more of the uh, 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 feral donkeys, you know, burros, yeah. and, you know, those sorts of things. Oh, yeah. yeah, and what we do have here in Santa Fe is wild horses, and it's beautiful. The horses all over the place. Because, you know, the, the whole area around here is what they call the 19 nations. It's all uh, Pueblos that belong to the tribes, right? And um, and they're, they're, they're way on that. They're, they're great to have them, you know, loose. And they even do. I think they do occasional roundup of the wild horses. But that's, that's pretty much what I've seen on this side of the state is, is the horses and some of the mules, some of the donkeys and mules or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I always get that wrong. A mule is the one that's not. Yeah, a mule can't reproduce. A can't donkey reproduce. can. So yeah. the donkeys, right? So I see burrows, the wild burrows, because yeah. the you know the 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 miners and stuff would just you know let them go and then off they'd go. So those are the only ones. But as I say, yeah, the camels is a weird thing. It's around like in Mojave toward Joshua and stuff. They're they're there. I've you know. I, did I see it? Did I hear tell of it? I could swear to you that that's what I saw. But I know they were there yeah. at, at one time. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 So, well, um, Zach, we're closing in on an hour here. <laughs> um, so, Gee, Gee um, Uncle John talks a lot. How surprising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, I'll ask you this. So what recommendations, and after hearing what you, you've had to say, what recommendations would you give to someone you know, someone like Zachary that's from mm-hmm. the Midwest and maybe wants mm-hmm. to go out West and explore these ghost towns or whatever. Was Is there any specific recommendations that you would be able to give to someone that would want to begin exploring the desert? Okay, well, one four-wheel drive is going to give you a lot more, you know, and fairly high clearance, you know, decent clearance on your four-wheel drive. It's not that don't take your all-wheel drive Volvo, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, second thing is just be completely, you know, just know that you're just completely on your own. So you got to be totally self-contained. You got to be water. You got to be food. You got to be everything. Okay. Um, On the upside, it's very hard to run on a signal. So you're actually usually pretty good for, you know, cell signal. It's, It's kind of an interesting effect of these places. So yeah, that, but then it, to, to find them out, um, there's two things. One is kind of look into history books, you know, say, wow, you know, cause I was interested in, you know, Pony Express and what was that like? And I was interested in, you know, Mark Twain and his life and those sorts of things. Look around for those things and say, wow, those places must be around. And then, you know, finally get, you know, you get on your, your map application and get on Google maps, you know, and find it. Right. <laughs> But then get the details from one of the paper maps because it's going to give you all this kind of interesting information. And then, of course, 
if you've got some sense of uh, interest, like for me, it's the ghost town thing. There's a lot of people who like this, you know, so they mark it and they say it and they do it and they tell you about it and they're all having a good time. So you can see all this, get all this information and then, you know, and then just go for it. Right. Yeah. That, that, that's the way I've been doing it. That's the and, way I've been doing it. And so when we're, when we're talking about gear, is mm-hmm. there any stuff that you, when you leave to go out to these places, is there any, like, what, what is your kind of, to you, you know, your go pack or what you bring with you. What does that look like? What is the stuff that you will not leave without? <laughs> well, other than the like really, really obvious stuff, like you know, a goodly amount of water, you know, and you can get those plastic cube containers put in the water and stuff like that, and and food that's easy to eat without having to cook it. <laughs> right. And so, what what do you eat out there? Just like spam. No, I eat a lot of dry stuff, you know, I only like cereals and things like that and just have that with like almond milk, you know, so I don't have to keep it cold, you know, yeah. and things like that. And, um, you know, the usual, you know, usual camp stuff, you know, a lot of potato chips and things like that, you know, yeah. and, um, but I do bring a camp stove, so I'll cook stuff, but the canned things, you know, a lot of chili, you know, soups, you know, canned things. Um, are always always a get to thing. <laughs> the one thing that for me personally, bring a shit shovel <laughs> <laughs> because you got nothing out there, brother. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> so you're gonna have to pull up a rock and just get rid of whatever it was that you were eating. <laughs> it it suddenly becomes very apparent to you. Wow, that's really I just got nowhere to park it. You know? <laughs> and you don't want to leave a mess, even though nobody's really gonna be there. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one coyote that strolls through six months from now might. Yeah, he's snack. just gonna thank you for it. You know, but, <laughs> but yeah, that that's what. But really, it's to me, it's the vehicle. Make sure that that damn vehicle is just something you you know you turn the key, it's gonna run. You know, yeah, and that 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 to me is and see, that, that's everything. Do you carry anything with you, like uh, you know, a satellite phone or you know anything? No, I don't. A, a no, last it, chance it, thing. No, I didn't have any of that stuff in the day, you know, in, in the day, I just didn't even have it. So in some ways I look back and I go, wow, you know, it's a little bit of stupid, but the, the, the other side of it is if you're, if you, if you're fit and you've got your water, you're actually technically not more than 20 miles. I, I don't go more than 20 miles from a paved road. I've never done that. Yeah. Okay. You can do it. Um, and what those people do is I've seen them, what they do is they kind of go in a caravan. Mm-hmm. They, they have several vehicles and they bring stuff and they go way the hell out. So 50 miles, cause you can go a hundred miles out of nowhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't do that because I'm just on my own and I'm just having a good time and I don't want to wind up, you know, <laughs> I always thought that one of the weirdest things that could happen to you is you could fall down a mine shaft. And you're you're lying down there, fifty feet below the dirt, with a broken leg, looking up at F-18s fly around, and you got no way of telling them, "Help me get out of this hole," right? Yeah, yeah. And so I always kind of circumscribed it, so I don't, you know, it's enough for me to kind of find these spots. And like I say, I don't go twenty miles further than twenty miles off the road because I know I can walk twenty miles. I can do it. Well, Uncle John, I do have a, a a solution to that problem. If you do mm-hmm. fall down a mine, what you need mm-hmm. is to get one of those keychain like green laser pointers. Mm-hmm. And the second you point a laser pointer at a fighter jet, 
they will. I'm sure the NSA or someone <laughs> will be coming and trying to figure out where the hell that laser pointer came from that's yeah. pointing at the F-18s. That's a workable solution, but I don't <laughs> want some third bonehead uh, yeoman to push a button that says drop a bomb down that hole. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. Then, then you're just, then you're really dead. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Zach, did you have, did you have any uh, closing questions? Oh man, I have, I had so many throughout the entire thing and they're just all gone right now. Um, John, you said a while ago about uh, geological people and how they find gold and mm-hmm. stuff nowadays. Yeah. Um, are those just like are those private geologists that have contracts with mining companies, or like just like real real quick? What's a rundown on how they actually go about getting the gold through geologists? Stuff? Oh, it, it, as far as I understand it, it's kind of a curious, and now, now we're getting into kind of a crossover between politics and business. As I understand it. In the 90s, a lot of the mineral exploration rights for the West were actually sold to foreign entities, to Chinese and Canadian entities, particularly Canadian entities. And in that area, I know in the mining business, there are just these guys are metallurgists and geologists who are, they work privately for mining interests. Uh, I do know that the mines around the Rochester Unionville area are actually owned by Canadian consortiums. And... How it is they do their voodoo. The most geology I ever studied was when I was in college, and it was one of those courses you had to take something, so I took it. <laughs> so, um, but I do know, yeah, I've seen, I've seen the maps. I've seen them at the BLM offices and stuff. They have uh, uh, mineral distribution maps that you can see where I think just all kinds of probably the, the geological survey, the U.S. Geological Survey, it, which is the, the the government one, and then the private ones, they all can combine their information and then build a database and make these maps of the um, what they consider the estimated penetrations of different types of minerals are. And that's the way they do it. Okay, yeah. sure. So, so it's basically the, the people that have the mining rights have their own private geological scientists that kind of yeah. help them with that along with yeah. the uh, yeah. federal government experts. As yeah, well. and then ultimately, I don't think anybody keeps it secret anymore because what they really do is they just work out a way to make the best contract for extracting it because we all sure. own it. It's a government thing and the government gives you a license. So these guys are more talking to the government saying, okay, we're better at it than this, this guy. So give us the contract. You know, I think that's more what's yeah. going There's a lot, there isn't as much science involved anymore as there is, you know, wheeling and dealing. Yeah. And then uh, one last thing I had was you said you got into shooting out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, <laughs> like I said, there's what, a beer can on every setup? acre of America. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that your go-to target was beer yeah, cans? I'm and then a, like, a, what was your setup? Did you bring tables and lead sleds? Uh, and what were you shooting? No, I would know that, that kind of kit. Yeah. When you're talking about shooting, yeah, I'd bring a kit. And, and again, you know, my kind of shooting, just trivial shooting, cause I'm not much of a hunter. Um, is kind of Western style. So I have a Winchester and I have a, I have a single action 357 and I have a, a 12 gauge coach gun and those kinds of things. Right. And um, oh, yeah. yeah, so I'm not, a, I, I had, I had an AR and that thing was just like dumb to me. I just didn't, it's like, I, I know it's people <laughs> like, like it, but it would, didn't, it just didn't speak to me. I didn't feel like comfortable. It wasn't easy for me to feel 
like I was going to hit targets with it and stuff. I have a more. I get that too. Yeah, I get a more old timey sense. Oh, well, when you're hunting the pigs, I mean, I know you probably do a lot of trapping, but I mean, what do you what do you use? You use a, you know, a rifle, or I mean, you must use different ones for different conditions. Yeah, uh, shotguns sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, rifles sometimes. I got a 270 and then a, a 22 as well. A 22 that takes pretty good care of them, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Well, if you plant it in the right spot, it's going to drop it. But yeah, well, I, yeah, just ear holes. And, yeah, exactly. yeah. mm -hmm. and, and Uncle John, can you? And I, I've heard this story, but uh, I, Zach, you were talking about targets that are used. Um, I. Uh, Uncle John, if you wanted to explain that you used to work in the tech industry, so you have mm -hmm. a lot of used tech that you've been able oh, to use. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because your, your cousin Trevor and I did that. And my, and my son, Trevor his cousin. He's a good uh, on the fly shooter. And when I wanted to get rid of old cell phones and stuff, we'd skeet shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> and he's good. He can, he can usually nail a cell phone in the first two shots. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's the best way to dispose yeah. of old tech I've yeah ever and, heard. and one of the things is i call it data destruction i did some tests a 357 at about 25 yards will, will, will take care of a hard drive <laughs> it'll do some definite data destruction yeah especially with the rifle because yeah. you're going to build up more pressure with the rifle yeah <laughs> so yeah but i'm more of a plinker yeah i'll, I'll bring out clays and put them out but yeah, i'm kind of a plinker i'll find like cans or things like that. You know, I do that here, you know, um, yeah. the other day I was in a particularly Zen moment and I, I was shot a bunch of cups out of a dead tree. And then when the cups were gone, I was shooting the branches off. I was like, wow, I'm having a good day. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would bring that kit, you know, and things to clean it and things like that, but I'm not, um, you know, I'm not, I wasn't, um, I've never really experimented with like long range and, and Austin and I have kicked it back and forth because we've both been talking about doing a pig hunt. <laughs> Obviously <laughs> saying to you, Hey, let's do a pig hunt. is like, Oh, please do I have to do another one. Mm -hmm. But, <laughs> but we, I, I haven't, I don't know if I, you have not yet. Have you? No, I have not done one yet. No. Yeah. Cause I'd like me some pork on the hoof. You know? yeah. Oh yeah. But, but yeah, when I go out shooting, I'd, like I said, I mostly have these, uh, like I said, I just have uh, lever action and, you know, kind of, that kind of thing. And it just was just nice to have. It was just fun to have. Oh, I do have a, I also have a, um, a Colt Commander 80, a 45 thing. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And it is nice. It's, 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 it's quite, it's quite a good gun. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just not the kind of guy, I'm just not a semi-auto kind of guy. Uh, it just doesn't seem to, I don't know. It's, it's great. And that commander is great. It's just wonderful. It makes you feel like, you know, safe as heck. And by God, you know, here are the Marines, you know, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, uh, I, I tend more toward that kind of, uh, you know, old West style uh, fire, you know? And, and then yeah, I, I've started to get real into lever actions too. Mm -hmm. I love them. I want more and more. The more I shoot them, the more I want I'm more. I'm telling you, I was shooting the branches. I have a, a Winchester 1894 Ranger Compacts because it's got a shorter barrel. And honest to God, you, you, I can shoot a dime at 100 yards with that. I just don't know what it is about that particular rifle. The downside nail drive, it is a snail drive. The downside I find to the with the Winchester form as opposed to the Marlin form is the, the, the ejectors on the top. And that tends to jam. You can jam that because you've got to pop the other cartridge out over the top. 
You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Whereas with the Marlin style, it goes out of the side and, and, and it goes out a little more easy, you know? Yeah, I got I got a Henry. That's the same Henry. Side yeah, Henry Marlin. That style. Yeah, because that patent, the Winchester patent, was a top eject, and the, and the Henry guys, Marlin's on the same patent as the Henry. So yes, right. Uh, and uh, do you notice that you're, you're not having jams on the ejector with that, are you? No, I shoot. I sh- I just got a new batch of short twenty two short mm-hmm. subsonics, mm-hmm. and then I mixed them in with long rifle stuff, mm-hmm. and and never skipped a beat. Yeah. Yeah, buddy of mine's got the Henry Golden boy. <laughs> we're old retired That's guys. The same right? one I got. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say we're old retired guys. We got money to waste, right? <laughs> but he <laughs> and and that twenty two. I was using that. I, he's a friend of mine in California. I took that in range, and I I did like that action uh, quite a bit. He's ha- he's been having some problems with that one because it wasn't sighted properly, so he's had to take it in. But but uh, yeah, the action itself, I think, is. Uh, I think that was a definite improvement with the side ejector. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last thing I got to say about all this is uh, I think I'm ready for a trip to the South. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Come on, brother. I got three bedrooms and, you know, two people living in the house. So <laughs> well, come and, on and, down. And actually I, I do have one, one final, final question. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So have you thought about, uh, have you started to put in for your uh, permits for elk or anything to get uh, your points? No, 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 no. I, I've taken into account what you said, and I've actually met a few people because you mentioned to me, hey, why not just hit up some of these guys who got property? So I've got some resources for yeah. property. Yeah, because I, I haven't, at, yeah. I haven't Zach, activated that yet. Yeah. And Zach, so, and I've looked into the laws in New Mexico, and that's because I want to go out and visit and, and you know, mm-hmm. possibly do a hunt out there. And New Mexico is a, uh, a point state mm-hmm. for public land. But private mm-hmm. land is as long as you can get a permit off of a guy that owns land, mm-hmm. you're good to go. Right. There's no point. So the landowners right. can just essentially hand out permits as they see fit. Right. And that's oh, really? and that's a lot easier to make friends with a guy than it is to get one of those tags. Because it's a lot. It's literally a lottery. I mean, yeah. so go you know go for yeah it. is it austin are you sure it's a point system not just a lottery it might be just a lottery whatever the case it, was, it's i think i think it's yes to both i've been looking at it <laughs> one thing i've learned in new mexico is they don't make things easy to figure out <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i think it's kind of a little both i do know there's a lottery aspect to it I, there is also points to it and even for the private landowners by the way there's n- there's a limit i mean they get yeah. they they get points they actually do also have points, but they got a lot of points, comparably speaking. And, um, you know, we got to face it, man. This is empty, dry desert country. Even the open range does not sustain a lot of cattle. So, you know, you're not looking at a lot of animals. To, yeah. So, so, so Zach, he, he is right. It looks, I'm looking at it right now. So it's, it's a, it's not quite a point system, but what it is mm-hmm. is you, you basically list your top four uh um like areas that you want to hunt and then you are selected based on your choices for a random drawing mm-hmm. and so if you're right so if you don't get in and if they hit the quota and one before you draw you get your second yeah, option yes. and then exactly. if you don't draw and they hit the quota you go to your third option. exactly exactly yeah. so yeah. yeah and the odds so it says 84 percent of permits or 84 percent of licenses are to uh new mexico residents and then the rest are Mm-hmm. given to landowners yada yada so yeah right yeah see there you go and and also just we all understand there aren't a lot of animals around you know so 
it's uh, th 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 there's a fairly, you know, it's got to be fairly controlled because it just aren't a lot. And like I say, I, I, I haven't noticed. Um, they don't seem to have the same hunting culture here as they do in Texas, where, I, like I said, I saw these big ranches where it's like, yeah, go, come on over. And mm. they're raising elk and they're <laughs> raising all kind of crazy things. Yeah, that's high hunt. fence hunting, though. Yes. Yeah. Right. But come on, you know, the, the, the fence is 20 miles away from where you are. So yeah, <laughs> Texas is big. Well, we're going to have to plan something to come down yeah, there yeah, and absolutely. do a hunt and a visit and all that stuff. I think yeah, it's pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you one of the big challenges is the fishing. Cause there's only two rivers <laughs> and no water and no water. <laughs> well, there's water. And I mean, it's real grand, so it's, it's kind of grand, yeah. but um, you know, yeah, that to me, I'd like to do some, but I, I just went up the Pecos river last week. There's hundreds of guys on it and they're all trying for one fit. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm kind of itching. Fishing. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of itching to go back to Wisconsin and throw it in and get some panfish and just have a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, no kidding. I have heard uh, New Mexico is actually kind of one of those sleeper states for duck hunting, too, because if you can find water, you're going to find ducks in the fall. Yeah, well, and there's plenty of birds. I mean, the question is, which ones are the, are the, are, you know, are the game birds and stuff? And, and a rabbit, if you want a rabbit, go ahead and spit, and he's going to just fall over. And you <laughs> I mean, I got... 20 rabbits in my driveway right now so yeah but you know yeah anyway so are, are we going to do our our cocktail question oh yeah yeah so yeah we'll we'll close it out here i don't i don't think we have any closing uh thoughts here um and i'll just mark this down yeah so yeah i think we covered anything uh was there any closing remarks that you want to add uh uncle john no other than this has just been a ton of fun and i and i i've really enjoyed you know listening to your podcasts and stuff and i know zach i seem to have like shut you the heck up <laughs> but it's been nice to have i you just on. really enjoyed listening <laughs> it was awesome just to sit back and listen <laughs> but so, uh, so yeah, yeah no thanks a million yeah it's wonderful i mean it's kind of funny you know uh it's something i just really really enjoy and you got to have kind of a you got to be person who likes it so i'm glad somebody else wanted to hear about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm starting i'm i'm having a deep uh a deep uh, fascination with all that stuff now and I uh, just out west in general and I just want to go out and explore some more stuff like mm -hmm. that so this is a uh, this has really gotten me intrigued to start just doing it oh well please do it you know I haven't even touched on the railroads <laughs> that's a whole nother yeah. story yeah, we'll, we'll have you back yeah. on yeah, we'll, we well I know where you live son so yeah yeah um, we'll definitely have you back on but all right so yeah we'll close it out here uh, thanks again for talking to us and we'll close mm -hmm. on we'll lead right into it here Um, so uncle John, uh, what, so we, we close out typically with a, uh, a hot gear, cold beer. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have any hot gear something new that you've used or something that you like to use? Maybe something you can't leave home without it. Something you bring once in a while and then a cold beer. So any alcoholic mm -hmm. beverage that you've been enjoying as of recent? Okay. Well, something I don't leave home without is, an emergency light. And that's, you know, the kind that if somebody's coming up to scare you and you turn that thing on and he's blinded. <laughs> yeah. So, so what brand do you use? Uh, I just, I, I have, um, 
uh, what's that usually? You know, the standard steel one, you know, where you can the mag mag light. Mag mag light, yeah. That, yeah. I'm I'm thinking about upping my game to this new one that's got the like xenon globe in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I you know, like, come on, I'm sixty, almost sixty-three years old. I'm not a Navy SEAL, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a what do you call it? I'm a walrus seal. I'm not a Navy SEAL. So yeah, that to me is but light light is all that that to me is the go-to thing. Thing, to have a decent amount of light because once you get out in the middle of nowhere, it's people forget how dark dark really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the thing. And then, um, you know, great grandpa is gone now, and so I can say this with all with and with all safety, I have not had a beer since. Nineteen eighty-seven. <laughs> well, you said beer, and once you said nineteen, we knew it was at least twenty years ago. So. Exactly, since the twentieth century. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because well, I remember great grandpa my and my dad. Grandpa, I'm sorry, grandpa. He beer grandpa. Yeah. Grandpa, grandpa drank enough beer to cover a lot of us. So, a couple <laughs> generations. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I, but I am a man who likes to experiment with a Manhattan. I, that that is my thing. I like to do a rye Manhattan or a bourbon Manhattan or a Manhattan mixed with with red vermouth or Manhattan mixed with that. So that's where I go. That's so where. so what's your so are you so what what is your go to right now? Is it because I think Manhattan you could have it with because uh, you have a brandy Manhattan or a whiskey Manhattan, right? Oh well, I have a personal recipe Manhattan that is for. Let's our hear people. it. Let's. Hear I it. I call it I call it a uh, a Hell's Kitchen because I make it with Irish whiskey. Okay. Yes. And then I use all the other ingredients. And so, that's, that's are you using Jameson? Are you using JMO? Or are you using uh, Bushnells or Bushmills? Yeah, I like JMO. I, I tend to like JMO. I don't know where I'm going to get in trouble. Which one is the Catholic one? Uh, Jameson <laughs> is the Catholic one. Bushnells okay, I'm is good. The yeah, Protestant okay, yeah. One, I, yes. I'm a JMO. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so I'm still good with our people. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, but on the but as uh, that's my own. That's a thing that I do myself. But if it's if it's a bourbon, I I tend to, I like the, this company called Redemption. They make a very good bourbon and a very good rye. So that's what I uh, I like, and a good price. You know, that's a twenty five buck you know thing. So you're not you know blowing a ton, and and you're also not drinking JD. You know. Yeah. 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 So there you go. There's my go to. Uh, cocktail <laughs> there you go well great yeah and uh, yeah and once again we can't thank you enough for for having you on and uh we're, we're definitely gonna have you on because your railroad stories are good too this is a gentleman that has taken the railroads literally across the country um so yeah that would that would be definitely another one we'll have you on for but yeah thanks again for having you on and uh yeah it was great i i enjoyed it and i learned a lot uh there are many yeah. stories I've heard before, but you know, for everyone that's listening, it'll be <laughs> there. It'll be... We go. That's the old Uncle John part. He heard this stuff before. But ah, I've heard nice it a million times. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. By the way, Austin, did I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, we absolutely appreciate you having on, and it was, uh, yeah, it was excellent. Yeah. So yeah, well, thanks, thanks again. Guys. Thanks a million. Yeah, thank you. All right, Zach. So what do you got for us for hot gear, cold beer? What have you been using? Uh, hot gear. I'm real excited. I found a uh, new trapping company. Not new, but new to me. Uh, Wolf Creek products, Wolf Creek traps. They make the Wolf Fang Earth Anchor, which I really like. It's a earth anchor that you pound into your trap into the ground so you don't have to use rebar stakes or anything. But I just ordered a dozen of their number three 
offset footholds and a dozen of their uh, dog-proof coon traps. And they're great priced. And I finally got them in my hands not too long ago. And they are just an awesome trap altogether. Um, and the, the price point is awesome. And I'm real excited to try them out this year. I think it was like a hundred bucks for a dozen number threes and a hundred bucks for a dozen dog proofs. And at that price, you can't beat it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so these are just, and this is just the, the, the holds for the traps. This is not the traps themselves. No. So they make the trap, they make the holds wolf Creek traps, make wolf fangs, which are the holds. But then I bought two dozen traps from them. Oh, okay. So you got is my hot gear. The, the, the holds are what I've been used to. I didn't know they also made good traps. So I looked at those and I ordered some and they're awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so when does trapping season uh, start for you? Uh, down here, it's pretty short season. I think it starts mid or late October and then it ends in, or maybe it starts in November, November to January, maybe. Okay. It's so very yeah. short compared to up north. Up north, it's two or three months. Down here, I get like a month and a half or two months. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's coming up. So you got your you're you're getting you're getting ready. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess for or and then, well, and then for cold beer, I've just been picking away at these bushlight apples, and you know they're they're all right. They were all uh, everyone was all hopped up on them, and I like them. They're all right, but um. I'm done with them once I'm through this 30 pack. Yeah. And it's, um, and that's kind of what I've been hearing is like, I think it was hyped up and everyone's like, Oh man, these things are awesome. And now it's, and you are not the first person that has told me that it's kind of like, eh, okay, I guess. Yeah. But I've also been in the middle of nowhere in my house drinking them solely because of everything <laughs> that's closed down. So maybe, yeah. maybe if we get out on the boat or meet up with the boys, maybe that'd be a little different, but just drinking them in my house right now, I'm getting kind of sick of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that. Um, for me, uh, my hot gear this week is going to be my uh, master built 36 inch digital smoker. It's lit. It's lit, fam. That's the way I could say it. This thing is top-notch, I, just as I expected it to be. I've only done one thing in it, but it did it good, and I'm super excited. And I know I said last week I would tell you this week. I preemptively made it my hot gear last week. This week, it is my hot gear. It's awesome. Thing works perfect. Did some ribs this week, and I'll go over the recipe, but I did ribs this weekend, eight hours, top-notch. Thing didn't explode, didn't burn, smoked it good excellent um and then for my uh cold beer i'm going to go with um there's this company i have a few whiskeys from them uh but this week i'm gonna go with it's called bellotin or Ballotin. i don't know exactly how you pronounce it um but uh they are a uh a a company out of Louisville, Kentucky and you can find it in, in about it says here on their website 17 states you can find it in. Uh you can't buy it in Wisconsin unfortunately. I had this uh given to me by someone in Illinois and there's like one spot in Illinois you could buy it. Um but they're bourbon ball chocolate whiskey. 
And uh, Whoa. yeah, it's pretty good. It's like that. Uh, what was that other one last week that I did? Um, gosh, Screwball. Yeah, it's it, it's it's similar to Screwball. It's good. It's a real good whiskey. I mean, I wouldn't. You know, this is something you have. Uh, you know, one or two fingers of it with an ice cube. You know, or you mix it in with something. You know, you have like a, a a milkshake and you put this in there or something like that. But yeah, it's pretty good. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's all I got. Um, Zach, we could go right into your cooking corner. What do you got for us? Yeah, I sent you a picture earlier today, but I took a turkey breast out of the freezer from turkey I shot this spring, and I pounded it out with a meat mallet, and I put two slices of Swiss cheese and two slices of ham in it, rolled it up, and made a little uh, turkey cordon bleu. And and did you smoke it, bake it? What did you do? Uh, we baked it in the oven, thirty minutes. Um, turned out great, man. It's uh, wild turkey breasts don't really dry out too much, and it, it was just perfect. Yeah, no, that's not. Yeah, and I, I gotta look back. I didn't see that picture, but um, yeah, no, that sounds delicious. And so when you so you took the breast, and I've never done like a cordon bleu, so you just gotta pound the hell out of that thing essentially till it's flat. Is that how that works? That's what we did. So there's a couple different ways of doing it. I didn't really want to cut any any turkey material out of it because it was a wild turkey. Yeah. So I just wanted to lengthen it and kind of roll it into almost like a pinwheel type of sandwich, yeah. but then just put a skewer through it and bake it. So it turned out really good. Um, like I said, not dry. Uh, and you got a little bit of taste of everything if you wanted, or if you just wanted to munch on some of the turkey meat, you could. And yeah, it turned out great. Some Brussels sprouts on the side, and can't complain at all. Gonna gonna probably do some sandwiches and stuff with the other breasts, and then I cut off that little bottom piece. You know, like it, they all have that bottom triangle piece. Yeah, it's like kind of a hard part, like a breast. Bottom. Yeah, yeah. Um, I cut that off because that would cook a lot differently. Yeah. So. I'll probably cut that into like strips and stuff. Just do like fried chicken fingers type of deal with that at, after a couple days, I bet. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds really good. Yeah. For me, that was just one breast. That was one breast, and that was a uh, meal enough for me and Tracy. So, nice. nice. They're pretty big. I think I weighed it. It was like a pound and a half. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, for me, I actually did some cooking this week uh, for one. Well, I do a lot of cooking, but not a lot of wild game cooking. So this, I actually did some like, I don't want to call it wild game, but some good cooking. Um, I bought some spare ribs. They were on sale, so they weren't the best, you know, quality. It was from the Aldi. I uh, got some spare ribs. Uh, I think was- Aldi's the best store ever made. Sponsor us. Yeah, yes, please sponsor us, Aldi. I'll give you all my quarters for all your carts. Um, <laughs> but... Um, which how is that going to work? Coin shortage. Aldi's is screwed. You're you're never going to be able to get a card at Aldi ever again. No coins. Um, but um, so I bought some spare ribs. They were on sale. It was like six pounds. It was a big old rack of spare ribs. Um, I cut them in half. I covered them. Uh, so I, I you know it's like I don't know how many ribs, but you know I cut the thing in half. So probably two racks, three pounds each. Um, covered them in brown sugar. Let them sit overnight, uh, then pulled them out, uh, covered them in a sweet Memphis barbecue seasoning, which I can't remember where I got the seasoning from, but it's like, you know, some brand Memphis barbecue seasoning. 
whatever. Uh, put him in the smoker with uh, hickory at 220 for uh, four and a half hours. Put him in on my lunch break. Then I went back to work. Uh, so four and a half hours at 220. Pulled him out. Uh, covered him in sweet baby rays, hickory, and brown sugar. Uh, the the barbecue sauce. Coated him in that. Yeah. Oh, and also I will point out that I did put a shot of Jack Daniels in the water. It's one cup of water with one shot of Jack Daniels in the water, um, in the smoker. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I uh, pulled them out after four and a half hours, covered them in barbecue sauce, put them back in at 190 for another hour and a half. And then I pulled them out and they were, I do have to admit, they were a little dry, and I think that was because I initially I should have put the barbecue sauce on from the beginning, which was my crucial mistake. But they still came out excellent. I mean, besides being a little dry, and I think that's also because they were spare ribs, not actual, you know, baby back ribs. Um, yeah, a little less fat on them, maybe. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is the spare ribs are like ribs have no meat on them. And then it's like the ends have all the meat on them. So it's kind of a weird thing. Um but yeah, it was excellent. It was very good. So yeah, my smoker, I'm about to be doing a lot more smoke stuff uh, coming up here for sure. So I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, everybody should uh, everybody should buy a smoker if I had anything to say about it. Yes, it is. The, the, if, you, if anything you could do in an oven, you could do in a smoker and it will be better in the smoker. Besides maybe pizza. I would do, I'd do smoke pizza. I would eat a smoke pizza. I'm not above that. I'm not above that. All right. We got something to try out for yeah, next tomb, time. Tombstone. I'm going to do a don't. I'm going to do one. All right. That's what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to do a tombstone pizza in the smoker and see how it tastes. Um, or pour back with a tombstone smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, all right. Well, um, I think that covers everything this week. Zach, did you have any closing remarks? Anything you wanted to add? No. Uh, well, I guess we just get out go exploring like old uncle john and that was a great interview and i i really appreciate him being on so thanks again uncle john and we'll uh we'll just keep playing around outside yeah yeah no i'm with you um yeah a big thanks again uncle john um for me i would say just yeah start thinking about fall it's coming up a lot faster than you think so um yeah start getting your stuff ready make sure all your stuff's uh you know your decoys are I wouldn't say you have to start now, but you got to start thinking about it now. Um, but yeah, so that's all I got. Thanks again. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We are at Between Two Pines Pod on Instagram. Uh, you can follow us on any major provider of podcasts. Listen to us. Let us know what we're doing. And if you want to get interviewed once again, please, if you know anyone or if you are someone who is a professional in the field, please uh, hit us up and we would be more than happy to interview you. So, yeah, thanks again, and uh, see you next week.